You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Proverbs is a father's instructions to his son. Through these proverbs, a dad imparts wisdom. But he even more so wants to cultivate in the heart of his son a hunger for wisdom. The writer knows that his boy will be a better man and live a better life if he pursues wisdom. In fact, the opening chapters of the proverbs revolve around two women. This father warns his son about the immoral woman. She reduces a man to a crust of bread. She preys upon his precious life. She has cast down many wounded, and her house is the way to hell. This father warns his son to steer clear of this wicked woman. She's been in more laps than a napkin. And he doesn't want her to influence his precious son. He doesn't want his son to be her next victim. Instead, the writer of Proverbs tries to fix up his son with another gal. Her name is Lady Wisdom. The father says in Proverbs 3 verse 13, Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And this is God's desire for us today. Check out Lady Wisdom. Oh, she's attractive. She's a knockout. She would be a blessing to any man. Lady Wisdom is a real catch. Hear this father's encouragement to his son, chapter 4, verse 5 of the Proverbs. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding, exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver you. Marry wisdom, embrace her, and she will adorn her man with grace and crown him with glory. Get wisdom. And Solomon is speaking here from personal experience. For he too made this wise choice. Solomon practiced what he preached. Do you recall the story early in his career? The Jewish historian Josephus, he tells us that Solomon was only 14 years old when the Lord appeared to the young king in a dream. Essentially, God gave to Solomon a blank check. He told him, he said, ask, what shall I give you? At the time, Solomon was overwhelmed with the responsibilities that he had inherited. He confessed, I do not know how to go out or to come in. In short, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm at a loss. He faced enormous challenges for a 14-year-old. A great nation had turned their eyes toward him. They were expecting a child to lead them as his father David had done so successfully. Perhaps you have a 14-year-old at home. What if you gave him or her a blank check? What would they order? Video games? A new skateboard? AirPods? Expensive sneakers? Or would they want to be a starting quarterback on the varsity team? Or the captain of the cheerleaders. Well, even at 14, Solomon asked for wisdom. He was wise enough from the start to know that he needed wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, Solomon makes his request. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon was wise enough already 
to know that it didn't matter the size of his bank account or the length of his days or his popularity or victory over his enemies. If he wasn't wise in leading the people, nothing else would have mattered. His life and his tenure would be a disappointment. It all hinged on wisdom. And God was so pleased with Solomon's request. So much so that along with wisdom to lead, God also threw in everything Solomon could have asked for but didn't. Riches and longevity and honor and victory. Proving Matthew 6 verse 33 before our Savior even spoke the words, Seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And do you remember what happened next in the story? Well, a crazy court case was brought before King Solomon. This was a case that could have been televised on Judge Judy. I mean, two women, hookers no less. They were roomies. Each woman had a baby. And yet one of the gals rolled over in her sleep and accidentally smothered her child. This mom gets up. She swaps her child's corpse with her roommate's living and breathing child. And of course, there were no dental records. There were no DNA, no maternity tests. It was one woman's word against another. What was the king to do? Well, King Solomon said, bring me a sword. He threatens to cut the baby in two and to give half to each lady. For the king realized that a baby's real mother could never put an argument above the life of her own flesh and blood. In a brilliant example of wisdom, Solomon settled the dispute and discerned the child's birth mother. Justice was served through wisdom. And I love how 1 Kings chapter 3 closes. Verse 28. All Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered. And they feared the king. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Hear that again. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him. And this is the challenge I want to leave you in this session. Does your church, even your community, see the wisdom of God in the decisions you make? For after over a year of this pandemic, and now it looks like it's far from over, my big takeaway over this past year is that I need wisdom, and far more of it than I ever thought. Over this past year, every pastor here has faced some whose baby is this type of decision. How do I support the pro-life president when he acts like a jerk? Do I back the police when everyone saw the Minneapolis cop put his foot on George Floyd's neck? I mean, do we wear masks and conform to what many folks believe is fear? Are we caving into fear or or do we go maskless and say to others that we really don't care about our community? Lots of decisions. At times this year, I wanted to speak with Solomonic wisdom. Bring me the scissors. (laughs) And cut up everybody's face mask. But then a new COVID case would hit a person I know. And the concern would reappear on my radar. Last week, as David said, we lost an elder and a friend, a dear friend to me, to COVID. And as I speak, we have another 30-year church member in our church on a ventilator. Please pray for Ann and for Chris's family. The coronavirus and its variant are still a lethal threat. My takeaway from ministry over the last two years is that in times of crisis, The leaders of the church have to think clearly and demonstrate discernment and lead their congregation with godly, spirit-inspired, God-ordained, prayer-obtained, near-Solomonic wisdom. And you get wisdom by seeking it in advance. 
like Solomon, you need a degree of wisdom to get God's wisdom. There are so many pressures today bearing down on a pastor. It seems like every church member has their own special interest through which they see the world and make moral judgments. And people love to label, don't they? They see every conflict as the good guys versus the bad guys. And they'll clump you in with the bad guys for the silliest of reasons. Social media has become the megaphone that makes these voices of approval and disapproval louder. And in the wake of it all, too many Christians and church leaders have lost the courage to think critically. We succumb to superficial biases. And we jump to conclusions. And we make generalizations. And we oversimplify complex issues. And worst of all, we paint people with a broad brush. Too many leaders have stopped seeking wisdom from above and have capitulated to the groupthink. Over this past year, pastors, especially pastors with a Christian school or a Sunday school or lots of elderly folk in their church or those pastors who serve under unfriendly governments, they have encountered one impossible decision after another. Have you discovered that despite what people assume, not all situations are right or wrong? White or black? Up or down? I mean, the answer isn't always clear. There can be legitimate concerns on both sides of the argument. And I'll lose favor in the eyes of some folk with either decision that I make. It is truly a no-win situation. Listen again to Solomon's exhortation to his son in light of the decisions that you've had to make this year. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Love her. And she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And that is true today as much as any time since Solomon. I remember when, like Solomon, I was 14 years old, ministry-wise. I was actually 22 when I became a pastor. But I was so lacking, I could have just as easily been 14. Hey, I thought the decisions were difficult back then. I figured when I got older, I'd accumulate some wisdom and the job would get easier. I hate to tell you, that just ain't so. Today I'm 63 and the decisions are more high stakes than ever. Maybe our church has more to lose, but this past year has been excruciatingly difficult. And yet God has been so faithful to us. He really has. He has given us wisdom and understanding and even more. This last year's chaos provided a backdrop for God's wisdom to shine. As with Solomon, our church and our school and our community was able to see that the wisdom of God was in us to administer justice. I think folks realized that we were going to seek God, not just toe the party line. In the midst of the long pandemic and the times of unrest that we've experienced, we've gone before God before his throne of grace, time and time again, to get wisdom. And as with Solomon, he's given us not just wisdom, but what we didn't even ask for, increased offering, and even more people. This past year at Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain, wisdom has proven to be the principal thing. I haven't told Kathy, but I think she already suspects it. I've got a girlfriend. She's Lady Wisdom. And I love and long for her more and more. And yet I've discovered that though God gives wisdom, he first has prerequisites. As in the case of Solomon's blank check, the fact that the king asked for wisdom indicates that the boy was wise beyond his years in the first place. You see, wisdom begats wisdom. It's the New Testament principle taught time and time again. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. And this is true when it comes to acquiring spiritual things, including understanding and wisdom. The rich get richer, and the wise get wiser. 
There is a verse that addresses God's prerequisites for us receiving wisdom. In James chapter 3, the apostle contrasts heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. There is the wisdom of God, and there is the wisdom of demons. James says in James chapter 3 verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And this is where I want to camp out for the remainder of my time. God entrusts his wisdom to people who seek it with the following three attitudes. First, God gives his wisdom to the pure, to people who have no personal or selfish agenda, who have no ulterior motive. People who are simply lovers of truth are candidates for God's wisdom. Second, God gives his wisdom to the peaceable. The peacemakers are willing to put in the work to promote unity and harmony. They're gentle rather than headstrong and harsh. They're strong enough to yield their own opinions, knowing that they're merely opinions, and extend mercy to others. They are the bearer of good gifts, and to them, God is willing to give his wisdom. And third, God gives his wisdom to people who work to avoid partiality and hypocrisy, who are the impartial. You see, if you want to make wise decisions and be respected in your community and in your church, then be pure and be peaceable and be impartial. Wisdom begets wisdom. God gives wisdom to the pure and to the peaceable and to the impartial. Now, let me start with this third attitude first. James 3 verse 17 tells us that people living here below need wisdom from above and that wisdom is without partiality and without hypocrisy. This means that you'll obtain God's wisdom if you strive to eliminate unfair unfair biases and prejudices and generalities from your thinking. See, a wise man refuses to wear tinted glasses. He avoids looking through colored lenses. He wants to see clearly without prejudice. This is the beginning of receiving wisdom. And we should all recognize that our perspective gets tinted by all kinds of factors. Cultural biases, past experiences, assumptions about life, misconceptions, preferences, prejudices. A person full of God's wisdom makes a concerted effort to be objective in their thinking and in their processing of life. You could say it like this. Wisdom avoids using broad brushes to paint people. A broad brush is used by an artist when he wants to just throw paint out on the canvas, sort of spread out a vast sky or an ocean. But no artist ever tries to paint a masterpiece with a broad brush. A real work of art requires smaller brushes to fill in the details. It's the subtle nuances that achieves the realism. And the same is true in navigating people and relationships. A broad brush approach takes you only so far in evaluating people. To know someone and to have a relationship, it takes narrower brushes that apply the finer points, and it paints in the details that make us who we are. Even the Cape Crusaders, Batman and Robin, the great champions of fair play, the heroes of justice, once made a mistake of painting with a broad brush. Let's go on location. Now, are you ready to come quietly, Catwoman? I guess so, Batman. Batman, can I ask you a favor before you send me up the river without a paddle? What is that? Can I freshen up a little bit with makeup? I mean, my image might be damaged if I were seen in public with a shiny nose. Yes, go ahead, but don't try anything untoward. (laughs) 
I'm afraid we've been drugged, Robin. I guess you could never trust a woman. You made a hasty generalization, Robin. It's a bad habit to get into. But in this situation, it's entirely apropos. You just don't see acting like that anymore. It's amazing. You'll have to tune in next week to see what happens. But holy stereotype, Batman. Robin made a hasty generalization. You can never trust a woman. And our hero Batman corrected what apparently had become a troublesome habit for the boy wonder. I'm sure Catwoman is the only woman of which that's true. But don't you hate it when someone broad brushes you? Don't you hate that? When they say all conservatives and pro-lifers and gun owners are vigilantes? How many of those stereotypes could be used to pigeonhole you? Look at the last swipe of that brush. My pillow customers... Why pick on us? I bought a my pillow. Just because I bought a my pillow doesn't make me a domestic terrorist. Don't do that to me. I simply wanted a good night's sleep. See, we as Christians, we hate to be broad brushed. Yet why are we so quick to do it to others? How often do we make hasty generalizations? Have you ever thought all homeless people are lazy? All lawyers are crooks? All politicians are dishonest? All teenagers are irresponsible? Be honest. Have you ever thought that? All preachers are greedy? All New Yorkers are rude? All bosses are uncaring. All Episcopalians are liberal. All rich people are materialistic. All blondes are dense. I live with one. All Baptists are closed-minded. All CGN guys are pushing for women preachers. All CCA guys are over 50. Whenever you hear all or every, beware. You have just made an assumption that is probably not true. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 15? He says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And in the eyes of modern woke Pharisees, judgments are still made according to the flesh. If you're white, you're a racist. If you're black, you think you're oppressed. If you're Asian, you're good at math. If you're a Hispanic, you might be illegal. If you're a man, you're probably a misogynist. If you're a woman, you're trying to break through the glass ceiling. Rather than learn a person's name and get to know their underlying passions and principles... It's just so much easier to stick a label on them and pigeonhole that person. This is why stereotypes and generalizations are tools of the bigot. By fostering assumptions based on the flesh or our outward characteristics, you can dehumanize people you don't like. You can make yourself look more self-righteous. You can separate how you treat them from how you think you should be treated This is how people justify our prejudice and cancel people with whom they disagree. And yet, John chapter 8, verse 15, there Jesus says, I judge no one. And of course, Jesus is the one person who could have judged someone. He had access to the all-seeing eyes of God. But unlike the world and its Pharisees, Jesus judged no one according to the flesh. 
Jesus cared about people so deeply that he looked beyond their appearance or their category or their grouping to the thoughts and to the intents of their heart. Jesus used a different standard for evaluating people. In John chapter 10, he calls himself the good shepherd who knows each sheep by name. Jesus understands our idiosyncrasies and our peculiarities. Prejudice just slaps the paint on with a broad brush, but love fine-tunes and paints by the numbers. It stays within the narrow lines. Love realizes that each of us is God's special creation. And just as the Creator made no two snowflakes, no two fingerprints, no two retinas exactly alike, no two people are exactly alike. And God's wisdom is gifted to the people who understand this truth and seek to judge impartially. Which brings me to the second prerequisite for receiving wisdom. James says that wisdom from above is not only without partiality and hypocrisy, but it's also peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. So in order to receive this kind of wisdom, it helps if we match it with the same sort of attitudes. Are you peaceable? Are you a peaceable person? The Greek word means tranquil or passive. When the Portuguese explorer Magellan sailed the straits at the tip of South America, he went from the violent, stormy, hurricane-prone Atlantic into another ocean that at the time was much more docile and passive. Thus, he named it the Pacific or Peaceable Ocean. Are you a stormy person? Always stirring stuff up? Ask your pastor. Do you cause turbulence in relationships at church? Reminds me of the man whose habit was to rock the boat, then try to convince everyone else there was a storm at sea. In contrast, Psalm 133 declares, How pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Do you love unity and enjoy its pleasantries? James 3 verse 17 teaches us that God's wisdom goes to the peaceful, not the stormy. And it also flows to the gentle. The Greek word speaks not of weakness, but of moderation and restraint. This kind of gentleness is strong enough to hold its tongue and keep its opinion to itself when it's not needed or wanted. Rather than make a rash judgment, it has the ability to wait until all the information is in before it draws a final conclusion. Gentleness is careful to avoid erroneous evaluations. One of my all-time favorite television commercials. That's how weird I am. I have favorite television commercials. It was done for the Super Bowl by AmeriQuest Mortgage. A man, he gets home from work before his wife. He plans to treat her to a delicious meal. He's been to the grocery. He's gotten all the fixings. He has all the ingredients to cook spaghetti. He even has fresh-cut flowers for the table. But as the sauce simmers on the stove, the couple's fluffy white kitten jumps up on the countertop and knocks the pot of sauce off of the stove. The cat falls into into the spilt spaghetti sauce, which colors its fur a blood red. The husband's been chopping lettuce. So as he reaches down to clean up the spill and pick up the cat, he's got the butcher knife in one hand and he's got the blood red kitty in the other hand. Just as his wife opens the door. Actually, why don't I just show you the clip? That would happen to me. That is something that would happen to me. 
Here is a loving, caring, thoughtful husband, the envy of most wives. He's cooking his honey dinner. He should be rewarded for his love and his initiative. Instead, his wife thinks that she's married to a cat killer. (laughs) And the caption shows, sums up the commercial's message, don't judge too quickly. Wow, how we need to hear that. In dealing with people and with issues, we all should be careful about jumping to wrong conclusions, especially under the unprecedented circumstances that we faced this past year. Hey, prior to 2020, no one alive could say they were experienced in navigating global pandemics. Obviously, experience has been a non-factor in these decisions because nobody's had any. This has been new ground for us all. I'm sure we all decry being told to wear a mask. But you know, if a surgeon came in to do surgery on me and he wasn't masked up, I'd run for the hills. Don't say a mask does no good at all. I'm sure it has its limitations, but it's got to do some good. Everyone in an operating room's wearing one. I'm just saying it is arrogance on our part to be running around pointing our finger at each other and accusing each other of this or that. Hey, I think I'm the first pastor to reopen after the lockdown. Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain opened May 3rd. Few opened earlier. But now, over a year later, we still have a section of seating reserved for masks only. And we have a regular crowd that occupies that place in our church. I'm convinced the church needs to meet in person. But I have no idea whether a mask does any good or not. It might. Who am I to say? Thus, we want to give our people options and the opportunity to follow their own conscience. I'm just saying wisdom refrains from pointing fingers. How can I get on my social media megaphone and tell other pastors in other states when and how they should reopen their church? And if they don't do it on my timetable, they're cowards and they really don't love the Lord. That's ridiculous. How can I stand in my pulpit and tell other pastors that they're wrong for resisting what they felt like were overly restrictive government orders? I don't know their people or their situation, not to mention their own convictions. If ever it was appropriate for us to take to heart Romans 14 verse 4, friends, this is it. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Of course, someone might ask, Sandy, don't you have an opinion about reopening the church and resisting the government? And my answer to that is absolutely I've got an opinion. But as the old saying goes, opinions are like belly buttons. (laughs) Just because everybody has one doesn't mean they're useful for anything. Heavenly wisdom is willing to yield its opinion. For an opinion is just an opinion. Wisdom distinguishes between opinion and truth. Realize it is biblical truth that Jesus is coming back to snatch away his church. And that the Jews will be regathered to their ancient homeland. And the world will unite under the rule of an antichrist. But whether or not Joe Biden's pull out of Afghanistan is tied in any way to biblical prophecy, that's only an opinion. Don't lose your ability to separate biblical truth from opinion and speculation. In a world that's polarized, in fact, in a church that's just as polarized, there'll be no real unity unless we are all willing to yield our opinions and show each other some mercy and give each other the benefit of the doubt. A rigid and dead uniformity occurs when one opinion is exalted above all others and people are then pressured into embracing that particular opinion. Whereas unity flourishes when the truth is distinguished from opinion. Harmony happens when the truth is embraced and when opinions are treated as what they are, mere opinions. This is the wisdom 
that produces good fruits. James is telling us that a person who receives God's wisdom is the person who's willing to work at unity. He or she puts in the time and makes the effort that wisdom requires. If you're not willing to make the effort that wisdom requires, don't ask for it. Recently, I read a quote from an Arab actor who said this, At times, stereotyping happens not because of any nefarious reasons, but rather because people don't know who you are or where you come from. So they just go for the broad strokes about you, your culture, your faith, all that. I think he's being generous in his evaluation. He's saying the reason folks jump to conclusions or paint others with a broad brush isn't because they're racist. It's because they just don't take the time or make the effort to get to know the person or the situation. And pastors are the worst culprits. We are often too busy to check out what we hear. And yet people are pressing us for our opinion. And so we make judgments based on rumor or hearsay. Rather than refuse to speak until we know what we're talking about, we parrot what we've heard. I know because to my own shame I've done it. It's not wise. And it is not the attitude that God blesses. This is why James chapter 3 verse 17 tells us that God's wisdom is received by folks who are determined to be peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. I've heard it put this way. The people who judge seldom help. And the people who help seldom judge. Have you found that to be true? Wisdom cares enough about people to actually work at relationships and get involved in other people's lives. And the absence of this attitude is our unity's biggest hindrance. It's so much easier to just jump to conclusions and use broad generalities about people than it is to hear all the facts and reason out a truth-based conclusion. I hope you realize rarely is anyone or anything all bad or all good. You know that, don't you? I mean, most people tend to be a mixed bag. God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet, in chapter 15, verse 19, If you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me. If you take out the precious from the vile, you shall be as my mouth. Do you realize that at the time, the prophet's character was part precious and part vile? How often could that be said of us? Oh, our desire is to serve the Lord. That's precious. But sometimes we do it with a bitterness and an anger, don't we? That's vile. Nobody's perfect. We're all a mixture of motivations. And the same is true of the decisions we make. Rarely is a pastor's evaluation a one-sided decision. It's never really a one-sided deliberation. Seldom do we get to make the choice between what's good or evil or what's right or what's wrong. You know, it's a luxury to be able to say, here's my decision, chapter and verse. These are the easy decisions to make, the good versus the bad. But most of the decisions that I've been called on to make lately, especially those within this last year, have been between the good and the best. And these are harder choices. What do you do when there's good and bad on both sides of an argument? When there's this uneasy tension between the two? Part of the problem today is that pastors are expected to know it all. We're called on to be experts in everything from theology to epidemiology. (laughs) And yet not every decision is clear. It's not always an up or down vote. There's usually some truth and wisdom on both sides of the argument. One thing is for sure, we have to resist the urge to take shortcuts and come up with easy answers by not doing our research or just accepting what someone else tells us or mimicking what we've heard. As men of God, it is our responsibility to seek and stand on what is truth. Shortly after the pandemic broke, I got a call from an Atlanta news reporter. She goes to our church. 
And she was requesting from me an interview on the church's response to the pandemic. It would have been some nice publicity for Calvary Chapel. But I turned it down. I felt the place for me was on my knees before God, not in front of some camera pretending to be an expert when I'm obviously not. Throughout this pandemic, we've had to balance lots of competing concerns. Our community's health versus the need believers have for in-person worship. The merits of wearing a mask versus individual freedoms. The benefits versus the risk of vaccination. Complying with government versus maintaining precious liberties. These days, seldom do I face a decision where there's not some truth in both the pro and con columns. It reminds me of how F. Scott Fitzgerald once defined the word genius. He said, It's the capacity to hold two conflicting ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. I want to repeat that. That's important. Genius is the capacity to hold two conflicting ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. This definition has been so helpful to me. Yet rather than label the capacity as genius, I like to call it wisdom. It's wisdom that balances competing priorities without needing to immediately reconcile them. There can be some truth on both sides. Oh, we need an assistant pastor, but we lack the money. That's true. Well, we lack the money probably because we need an assistant pastor. That's true too. Both are true. Pulling on the string at one end is our need for faith. At the other end, pulling is financial responsibility. And wisdom is the ability to balance both concerns at the same time and act on them successfully. The point is, wisdom comes to the peaceable, not the stormy. People who are committed to truth, not opinion. And who are into solving problems, not creating problems. Which brings us to the third prerequisite for receiving God's wisdom. Verse 17 tells us, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. And I've saved what's first on James's list as last for us because I feel like purity, this is the most important condition for obtaining God's wisdom. Purity is the most important condition for obtaining God's wisdom. If you're going to walk in wisdom, you can't be toting with you a hidden or a self-serving agenda. Your motives have to be pure. They have to be sincere. The word pure means clean, innocent, unadulterated, like the glass on the left. Or your, your, yeah, your left. (laughs) The opposite, of course, is murky or cloudy or polluted or compromised. What best resembles your motive? Some pastors criticize not because they're concerned about the truth. They have ulterior motives. I've seen pastors find fault in others just to make themselves appear holier. You ever seen that? Oh, look at me. I'm the sole keeper of the flame. I'm the lone man of God who's refused to bow his knee to Baal. Oh, look at him. By bringing another pastor down, they can elevate themselves. This is selfish motivation, and it is very unwise. Here's how it often plays out. We develop a beef with a brother, and rather than deal with that beef as it is, we blow it out of proportion, and we look for substantiating evidence that might justify and bolster our grievance. You know, so often in our criticisms of other people or groups, we sell out the truth to bolster our beef. Accusations get exaggerated. Infractions are blown out of proportion. We extrapolate conclusions based on where it all might lead rather than what's actually been said and has occurred. 
And we do it because we want to condemn the other side and render those people guiltier than they actually are. It's not peaceable or gentle, and it's surely not pure. Over the course of this CCA-CGN breach, this has been done over and over again by both sides. One group wants to demonize the other group as worse than they are, so they make unfair and inflated accusations. I certainly have disagreements with the Calvary Global Network and problems with its direction, but no one I know involved in that group is heretical. I still have more in common spiritually with many of those CGN brothers than I do with the Baptists and Methodists down the street. I'm just saying God's wisdom comes to the pure, to those who use, use wisdom for impartial and peaceable purposes. Actually, one of the most egregious examples I see of biased, agenda-driven judgment is the evil tactic of tearing people down using guilt by association tactics. Does this grieve you as much as it grieves me? Here's a cartoon that illustrates how this works. Larry King is old. I think he's dead. Tiger Woods plays golf. Both men cheated on their wife. So the principle of guilt by association says that if you're old and play golf, you cheat on your wife. And that's why this fellow gets a whack on top of the head. I would too. Some of you would as well. And of course, this is not fair. This is not right. But sadly, church people and pastors follow the same kind of rationale. They do the same thing all the time. Someone assumes that because I participate at a conference with another speaker, I must be aligned theologically with that speaker and in harmony with what he stands for and what he has to say. That's ridiculous. I might not even know that person or have even heard of that person before getting there. Actually, I've been on the stage with Calvary Chapel speakers, and I didn't agree with them either. I mean, just because I shake hands with a fellow, it doesn't mean that I share the guy's entire theology. I recall Pastor Chuck once being accused of compromise because a photo was taken of him on stage at a harvest crusade with a pastor who had questionable beliefs. It was silly. Sharing the same space physically doesn't mean you share the same place theologically. Again, folks get away with this with this kind of judgment. And it grieves me because it says to me that many pastors lack wisdom and they aren't thinking for themselves. We're content with easy answers and superficial evaluations. We have stopped thinking critically. Sadly, I've run into lots of pastors who I felt were more committed to the party line than they were God's truth. When you start by saying to yourself, oh, if I want my status to rise in this group, then I better not listen to this fellow, or I should be thinking this, then you're no longer pursuing truth, friend. You've become a slave to the approval of men. You are valuing promotion above truth. God help us. This is not wise. As Solomon said, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Like the apostle John, I have no greater joy than to hear that you walk in truth. But over time, the best way to ensure that you walk in truth is to be spiritually discerning and to think critically, not just blindly follow the Pied Pipers. I want us to all be like the prophet Habakkuk when he saw confusing signs on the world stage. He saw God raising up the army of Assyria and he wondered why. He, he didn't run off to the group down the street to find out what they thought. He didn't log on to the slick website or listen to the coolest podcast. Nor did he think only what he had been told by others to think. No, no. In his own words, this is what he did. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart 
and watch to see what God will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Habakkuk went to high ground. The man of God went to the top of the wall. He found a quiet place where it was just him and God, where he could be alone with God. And the prophet sought the Lord's will and his alone for his life and ministry. And that's what I trust you'll do in the days ahead. In these tumultuous, chaotic times, get wisdom from above. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Let me close with a song that I sing from time to time. Though I've learned thousands of worship songs since, this is always my go-to song. Kathy will tell you, I sing it around the house all the time. When I'm in the car, it's just the tune that pops into my mind most often. It's an old Maranatha music song by Chuck Gerard. And don't worry, I'm not going to actually sing it. (laughs) I'm just going to quote it. Our lives are in your hands. What better place for them to be? The one who sees beyond today must know what's best for you and me. Oh, Lord, I trust in you. For your ways are not like mine. Remember me in all my narrow ways of thinking. Help me, Lord, just to trust in what you say. And I love that line. Remember me in all my narrow ways of thinking. Deliver me, Lord, from my limited perspective. Help me to trust in what you say. And the way he delivers me is through wisdom. You need wisdom in turbulent times. Embrace her, exalt her, don't forsake her. In all you're getting, get wisdom. Father, we thank you for your words to us tonight. Lord, I pray that you're... Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Sandy Adams. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Sandy's teaching ministry by visiting sandyadams.org.